to the Very Well Mind podcast. We've interviewed over 100 authors, experts, entrepreneurs, athletes, musicians, and others to help you learn strategies to care for your mental health. This episode is hosted by psychotherapist and best-selling author Amy Morin. Now let's get into the episode. Do you sometimes make things harder for yourself than they need to be? Do you tend to overthink things? Do you worry that doing something differently might make things worse? If you answered yes to any of those questions, today's episode is for you. I'm talking to Susie Moore. She's a former Silicon Valley sales director turned life coach. Her work is often featured in the media. You might have seen her on the Today Show, Oprah, CNN, or in Time. Her first book, What If It Does Work Out, was named one of the eight best business books entrepreneurs must read to dominate their industry by Entrepreneur Magazine. But today we're talking about her newest book called Let It Be Easy, Simple Ways to Stop Stressing and Start Living. Some of the things she talks about today are the ways in which we sometimes make things harder than they need to be, how to give yourself permission to try new things, and how to deal with imposter syndrome. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for the therapist take. It's the part of the show where I'll give you my take on some of the strategies that Susie shared. So here's Susie Moore on how to stop making things so difficult. Susie Moore, welcome to the Very Well Mind podcast. Amy, I'm so happy to be here, like truly to spend time with you, to talk about some of my favorite things, all things mental health, like truly, oh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So for our audience who's listening, for them to know, I met you, I can't remember, we tried to figure out how many years ago it was, but it was right after you had written, uh, What If It Does Work Out? So somewhere in that window of time, you and I met at a book event in New York, Mm -hmm. and then recently got in contact again, and I was a guest on your podcast, and we decided you absolutely have to be a guest on my podcast, and so good to be able to connect with you. Over the years, though, Mm -hmm. I have seen lots of your like webinars and all Mm. of this cool stuff that you're doing. And for people who haven't heard of you, you're this life coach and you write Mm -hmm. books and you do all sorts of business entrepreneurship kind of stuff. But you haven't always lived a charmed life. I think it's easy for people to look at Susie and think, well, look at you. You get to do all this amazing stuff. But life wasn't always amazing, was it? Oh, Amy, 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 Amy. I'm very, I'm very happy we're starting here because I think that, you know, whenever you meet someone, it's easy to kind of um, summarize immediately in your mind, like what your assumption is of that person. And I know that people meet me, they see that I'm very, I have a very sunny disposition, but you know, this is very conscious. Like I've created, it takes more work to be like this than it does for me to be down, miserable. Like this goes for everybody, you know, it takes inner work to to create your emotions consciously. But no, I mean, I grew up in the UK living in largely domestic violence shelters. My parents were never married. There was abuse, addiction, all sorts of chaos. 
so much change growing up. You can imagine like when you're a kid, the the worst thing you want is to be different, right? To to anybody else. And so I always felt like I had to hide who my family were. And then I felt guilt around wanting to hide and even lie about like some things in my family because so much was private. We weren't able to, if you live in a shelter, a lot of people don't know this. You can't ever have friends over. Like where you live is like a safe, confidential place. And when you go to school and you go to lots of different schools typically because shelters in nature are temporary, you have to keep starting over. I mean, I always felt like I was very strange, that the way that we lived was very abnormal. And early on in life, Amy, I just, even though I'll always love and respect my parents, I just knew that that wasn't going to be my life. Like, I was not going to be like my mother or even like the other women who I got to know or like my father. And so my intention setting started early. I mean, I didn't have the language for it back then. Um, But look, you know, I I worked hard, moved to Australia. And now, of course, I live in America. But even as an adult, you know, like I got divorced in my early 20s, having to even, you know, go through a career transition from working in the tech world to working for myself. Life is just, I mean, it's a lot harder than we think it's going to be. And it doesn't end. So even though there are some things that we overcome, as as have you too, Amy, we know that in our future, there's more, like there's always going to be more that's coming. So the only thing that I know that I have control over or that I can manage or my only, the only thing that I think is my number one job is to manage my mind. And if I can do that, not perfectly, but if I can do that as consistently as possible, then whatever comes next, you know, life is full of surprises, uh, it's going to be okay. And I think that that is, uh, that's the thing I like and and cherish most about myself. And that's a good point. Because I think a lot of people believe like if all of the, if your outside world suddenly Mm -hmm. becomes kind of a good environment, then suddenly you feel great and life is good. So we look at people who seem to have it all together from the outside and think, well, obviously you have it all together on the inside, but life doesn't really get better until you figure it out on the inside. And then no matter what curveballs life throws your way, you know, you can get through it. Yes. And <laughs> it's, isn't it, isn't it funny how we're still almost like waiting for that perfect like experience right? or or, but then as soon as, even even when a goal is met, even when something positive is met, like we can even be left with a, you know, what now? Like what's the, you know, what's the next thing? And you and I are lucky because we speak to a lot of different people. We get to work with different people and we know that everyone's suffering. Like this is the universal truth. I mean, there's no, no matter what someone's life may look like, we don't know. Like we, we simply don't know. And only maybe the two or three people closest to you, do you really see a full picture? But I think that it really lends itself. I know that, you know, growing up meeting, you know, getting to know very different people, it really suspended a lot of my judgment and gave me a lot of compassion. And so I think that just that clarity and and knowing that, you know, we're all just kind of in this together and it is scary and we never know really know what's next. Um, there's something oddly soothing. Like there's something oddly soothing about that. That's why I'm obsessed with ease because I don't know what, I don't want to resist what's going on in my life either. I want to control what I can. And then the other parts then to, to allow those to be, simply to be. Let's talk about ease for a minute because you wrote, you went on to write another book, Let It Be Easy. You started a podcast on it. And I know everybody must say, yeah, but Susie, it's not easy, right? 
Mm, oh, oh, you know what? I, I joke, Amy, that people is needs a good lawyer, right? No one's representing it. Like everyone's like, strive. Think about even how we describe women, right? Su- successful women, however we define that. We're like, she's fierce. She's strong. She's a badass. Like, you know, all these kind of very, um, uh, there's so much force behind the way we look at like these, these people who we admire, or we think that they have all these extra strengths. But I think, you know, what about the relaxed woman? Like, what about the, like, what about the person who uh, strives and does things? Yes. And like is aligned with, like it lives a life based on her values, but also isn't in a constant state with this undercurrent of anxiety and isn't in a, well, I'm okay until that person says something that really, like, that's really my hot button. Or so long as my husband, you know, doesn't go out with his friends too late. Like, uh, I don't know, like living at the mercy of other people and like the interpersonal relationships that we all have, uh, that isn't, that's not how I want to live my life. And so knowing that like resistance is futile when there's nothing you can, there's nothing that you can do about something and knowing that like ease is like this small miracle that can show up in certain moments and that it's available to you as an option. Like, how can I let this be easy? Is a question I just love coming back to. You get these creative solutions. And I think that you also start to take life a bit less seriously. You're not so, it doesn't feel so dramatic, even though that's how how our brains are wired, right? It's like life and death, threat, not threat. Uh, I don't know. I think that sometimes when we, um, when we slow down a bit, we realize that maybe even life is better than we think too. One of the things I appreciated about your book, Let It Be Easy, Mm -hmm. it's got really short chapters, right? Yeah. About all of these different topics where you Mm -hmm. describe things that maybe like we kind of know, but we just don't really think about and give us a new yeah. perspective on looking at it. So I want to talk about some of my favorite things from the book. Oh, great. One of them mm-hmm. is you say that too late is a decision. Oh, yes. Don't we know this to be true, Amy? <laughs> yes. But how often do we say like, oh, I just can't decide? Well, by not taking action right now, we are deciding, right? It, isn't that, you know, I notice this actually the most when it comes to relationships. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but, or if, if you're, if this comes up in your work, I mean, um, often someone will be like, I don't know if I want to be in this relationship, or I don't know if I want to be in this job. And I've never in my life thought, I wish I just stuck out that relationship six months longer, right? or I wish I just like knuckled down in that job for another year. <laughs> like, I don't know. I mean, timing is a weird thing, isn't it? I mean, because time doesn't really exist in a linear way, even though, so we live by a Gregorian calendar right there, years, months, and so forth. But that's largely kind of man-made how we look at it. I don't know. I mean, and if just say something is too late, like said who? you know, when, like, was it on May 31st last year that something became too late or that this is now the right time for, or, or next year is the right time? I don't know. I think the time is just something that we can play with and it expands or contracts based on our own focus. And we don't like, we have these kind of, re- we're really hard on ourselves when it comes to timing. I think we judge ourselves around it. We think that, you know, there are right or wrong decisions that we make, but I mean, with the exception of maybe only a couple of things in life too, when it comes to decision-making, most things can be reversed. Like even tattoos can be reversed. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I think this is kind of too where some of the lightness and ease can come in. Like, do we need to have a judgment or a timeline or a, even in, you know, in business with entrepreneurs, someone was like, I'm behind my deadline. 
And I'm like, well, if, if you're behind your deadline, you can move the deadline. Like it's also a bit <laughs> of an arbitrary thing. Like you made up the deadline and, and look, it's not to say don't um, take action and, you know, because I love to work, but I think, I don't know, could there be like, how could it be easier? Could you extend it a little? Maybe there'd be benefits to that too. I think playing around with some of the, um, these rigid rules that seem to exist somewhere in some, you know, somewhere in our minds is, is really worth doing. <laughs> like it's, I agree completely. And as you say, I've never heard anybody that's like, I'm really glad I stuck that terrible job out for one more year. (laughs) But yet in our heads, I don't know what we're waiting for. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we've all done something like that where you hang on to something because we're afraid we're going to make it worse. Or we think that if we quit today, then we're going to regret it. We have that fear of regret. And then we do something way longer than we needed to do. And those self-imposed deadlines, I do this to myself all the time as an author or uh, Mm -hmm. posting social media stuff. I think like there's a deadline, like I have to do this. And then every once in a while, I'll be like, wait, why? Why do I need to do this by noon? Or what's going to happen if I don't write that many words today? Maybe I'll write more tomorrow. Like it's okay. And to remember, you can move the goal. You can switch your deadline. So that's a super important one. Mm -hmm. Another chapter is that you talked about how only action cures fear. Oh, yeah. Which is so important. I've never seen anybody who sat on the couch and like talk themselves out of a fear before. <laughs> you know, the way that I vision it is like, you know, when you're on a diving ball, when you're a kid and you just look at the water and it seems to get deeper and deeper and scarier and scarier with every passing second, then you step down the ladder and you're like, tomorrow I'll be brave. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's, it's, You know, Only Action Cures Fear is a principle I learned from this first self-help book that I ever discovered, which completely changed my life, The Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz. And I remember thinking to myself, you know, if if I'm afraid, like, and there's an action that can cure it, that will allow me to be uncomfortable, yeah, for a a few seconds. Like, it's going to be uncomfortable if I ask for something and someone says no, or if I put myself forward for something and I get shut down, or if I'm scared to, I don't know, speak even in a group. Well, okay, then I'll be scared. Maybe I'll look nervous. Maybe my voice will shake. Maybe the person will go, no, I don't want you for this thing. And that's like, that's okay. Again, this is um, when it comes to even you know being so serious. I'm such a self advocate. I always put myself forward for things happily. And when you do this consistently, when you just take volume, even in things that you know are going to be a rejection, when you're gonna. So, Amy, my husband's always embarrassed because I always love to just test my own um, confidence all the time. I always love to ask for discounts. I, I like to ask for the best table. I, I mean, I will push the envelope and I get met with no, probably half. I mean, I can't even measure because I don't even remember really the nose, but I just, I take a lot of action, uncomfortable things, so small, trivial things like discounts and then big steps, you know, so I was afraid to quit my job. I was earning half a million dollars a year in the tech sector to work full time as a life coach. I mean, no one supported that apart from my husband, like no one, like my mom, like no one. But I, w- I kept thinking, what's the very worst that could happen? Like I love doing a good worst case scenario. If you're afraid of something and you got to take an action, like that's the only way to, to bust through the fear, right? To go through it. And I thought, and I realized this, I was like, well, if I'm sort of, you know, sat at this cubicle and I don't want to be here. I mean, I, I was very grateful for everything the career gave me, but I'm like, I want to do something else. 
And I go for it. I give it, you know, I give myself a year. Say, so give myself, a, you know, my business will swing of the bat and it doesn't work. I hate it. No one hires me. I don't make any money. But then worst case, I will end up at another cubicle, <laughs> like with this, just a different logo behind me and a different business card from like a different company. And I, I realized I was like living my worst case scenario already. And I think that a lot of us are doing that. Oh, I love that. And in therapy, sometimes we'll just say to people like, play the script through until the end because somebody's like, I can't do that because it might not work out. Well, what would happen if it didn't work out? Just that of like, well, uh, I might have trouble paying my bills for a few months. Well, could you find another job? Would you end up homeless? Would you, uh, I don't know, end up never being able to have a job ever again in your life? Like just kind of playing it through realistically. What's the the worst thing? And usually we find the worst thing is like, I'm going to be a little uncomfortable. I'll be a little nervous, but it's probably not the end of the world. Yeah. What, this is typically what will happen. Your frenemies will laugh, right? So the people who don't like you will be happy. They'll be so happy that you failed. Okay. Let them. There's plenty of failure in their future too. And more in ours, right? It's just, it's a universal experience and you'll, you'll have learned something. I've, I've noticed Amy that in life, when I'm going through something unwanted, it will either end right? Because nothing lasts forever, right? Like even whatever it is, like whatever period that I'm going through, maybe I'm having an issue with a friend, right? Or I'm having, say it's a, um, a financial goal isn't being met or I'm struggling in my marriage. Like anyone who's been to couples therapy, like, and I love couples therapy, but you know, it, the experience itself, the unwanted experience, it comes to a natural end at some point. So it'll end or they'll somehow be a a blessing in it. There'll be something that you couldn't have been uncovered without the struggle, right? And we've, uh, sadly, this is, <laughs> sadly, this is true for all of us, right? It's the, like, it's the suffering that reveals a lot to us. It gives us a lot of clarity. And so I'm like, if I'm in a, like a bad period, it's either going to end or there's a gift. So I can't really lose. I might not like it. And I'm, I'm not volunteering for more unwanted experiences, but I, but I know just from my own experience that those, that those things are true. There are, there are really, there are two outcomes. And like, for example, when I lost my dad, um, I was 19, he died of addiction. I was like, of course, no one wants that, right? Everyone wants to have that. My friends who are older than me still have their parents, even right. grandparents. And I remember thinking like, so I can't control my father. Actually, going to Al-Anon was such an incredible experience for me, such a great basis for coaching too. But I remember thinking, you know, well, this is like, this is how his life has played out. And the gift in this is I really connect with people with loss. Like it's something I'm very comfortable talking about. It's an, it's a area of discussion in my work, but it's welcome and I can feel connected to other people. And also just the way that I think about death is probably a little bit different too. I just don't think it's the end. I, well, I know for me, it's not. And so that also shapes how I think about my own future. So with the big stuff, the small stuff, I just think there are one or two outcomes that either comes to an end or there's a gift somehow that's going to be revealed later. And that just has to fuel my faith if I want to just keep going. I agree. And it's sometimes those most painful, difficult things we go through, whether it's because we made a choice or it was just what the universe handed us that we have an opportunity to gain and learn something. Yeah. And I heard that probably, you know, this study too, Amy, I can't remember it. I keep meaning to find it, but it was all these people who went through all these different things. Like, so someone went through cancer, someone was canceled. The celebrity was canceled. Um, uh, I mean, someone was like lost their job after 30 years. They were sharing 
they're sharing the different experiences and the lessons, which were very common, uh, like these, these human experiences, which always I find very soothing. And the interesting thing was that no one would take it back. Ah, very interesting, like, huh? I thought that would, I was like, wow, like I thought I was the only one who wouldn't take anything back. Like, oh, I thought I would be the, you know, but it was, um, it, it, it was like this unanimous, everyone was grateful on, well, not great. We don't want more, want to attract them, but uh, the, the, the values and the experiences, um, I just, there's so much grace in that for me. I agree. If you had a really easy life, like not just mm. let it be easy, but if your life, yeah. everything in your life were always so easy that you didn't have any pain, it would be impossible mm. to grow. Mm. And we need the contrast. Yeah. Right. Like I think that I'm like, we need the contrast too. I mean, in my first marriage, I was divorced in my twenties. In my first marriage, I mean, look, there was plenty of fun and joy in that too, but wow, did I learn? I mean, I thought, I, I used to think that love was like enough. Like if you thought someone, if you were like really attracted to somebody and you fell in love with that person, like that was enough. I had no idea. And I thought I knew everything back then. Right, you right. <laughs> I knew everything at 16, didn't you? Absolutely. <laughs> Every 16 year old knows everything. But I was like, wow, you have to have the same values. You have to have the same desires around children, around money, around uh, like how you spend a weekend, all these things. I didn't even understand about compatibility. Like that was even a thing. I was just, my naivety was just like running the show. So what, like even like the blessing in that, and that was a horrible experience. Like giving anyone who's been divorced knows it doesn't happen overnight. And that it's like this, your, your future feels like it's ripped away. Like it's this heart wrenching thing. But now I just, I also, and I'm open. I, I I tell him this. I wouldn't have chosen my now husband of 13 years unless I had that contrast. Like I absolutely, I wouldn't have been um, conscious enough. Ab- like absolutely not. So even and and when even of course friends or people come to me going through this, I just th- that part of me is steady. Like just knowing that this is working for them somehow. Yeah. And as a as an author these days, I always just remind myself if I'm going to do something. I'm either going to succeed or I'm going to have a really good story, right? <laughs> when you walk away with the story of like, all right, this didn't work out. Here's why. Somehow yeah. that makes it easier to, yes. to face those fears. But one yeah. thing I specifically wanted to talk to you about is imposter syndrome. Mm. So we see, we see you, you're in the media all the time, but there's like a million and one life coaches out there. And somehow you make it to, to be kind of the go-to media person for all of this stuff. Yes. Do you ever struggle with thinking like, gosh, I maybe don't belong here or other people put me on this pedestal and maybe I shouldn't or do you ever feel like an imposter? No, it's so easy for me. Good for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, all the time. But you know what? This is the thing. I've I've come to understand that unless I feel like an imposter a little bit, like all the time. And I mean, 100% of the time, unless I feel like, oh, am I out of my depth a bit? Am I ready for this? Like, is this like, wait, I can think of five people who'd be better placed for this opportunity. Like my mind will go there. Unless I feel that way all the time, I think that I'm probably coasting a little bit. Hmm. Interesting. Right. If I'm like, think about it in any way, if you're like every day you make the same dinner or every day you go or every year you go to the same ski resort, you do the same runs, you you know, whatever it is, you feel very comfortable, right? You're like, I know exactly what to expect. I almost can even close my eyes and do the thing. And is that's kind of not what we're built for. 
right? Like what, what's so wrong with feeling uncomfortable? What's so wrong with feeling not ready? Also, people say this fake it so you make it. I don't like that. Like, I mean, I, I understand the intention, but I, I think about it differently. I think do it, like you do the verb and then you become like the noun, right? So if I want to be a life coach, right? I coach, I help people get results. I help them work through their problems. And then I'm a life coach, right? Or if I'm a speaker or like whatever it is, like, or if someone's like, oh, who am I to be an author? Well, if you write, if you put 60,000 words together and they are interesting or useful or entertaining, then you know, you're an author or you don't want to run a marathon. You're not a runner, like sign up for a marathon. I would never do that, by the way. <laughs> but like, sign up for one, run it if you can, and then you're a marathon runner. Like, it's just the facts, really. So I think to myself, yeah, what's wrong with being a bit nervous? Or what? And what's wrong if I also just say my voice shakes a bit if I'm like doing something that's a bit, you know, feels like it's really big and scary. Or if some, you know, if I'm invited to something and I feel like oh, everyone's so far ahead of me. Well, I don't. I mean. I don't know. Like it's also, I also think, Amy, that uh, opportunities never come to you by accident. Oh, I like that. So think about it. If you went to a sushi restaurant, right, you wouldn't go, oh, I'll have like a pepperoni pizza, right? Like it, it just wouldn't be. It's, it's like, it's not a match. So if something, if, some, if, the, if there's an opportunity that's come your way, whether it's been, you know, if someone's reached out to you or if you've put yourself forward and you've been accepted for something, then it's not because there's been some great mistake, right? Like I think to myself, the North Face isn't going to sponsor me to climb Everest. Like that just would never happen in my, in my lifetime. That won't happen because that's not a match for me, right? But what comes to me has to be a match for me. And isn't that true for all of us? If there's a promotion or if there is something that feels like scary and new and big, it's not like because someone made an error somewhere. Like I always think, oh gosh, next, next level or something cool is like something cool that's kind of brewing here. And I'm not, I'm not here to argue like with the universe. Like, <laughs> and, and final thing I'll say, Amy, people don't go for theirs. I really go for what I want and giving myself permission. No one can give you permission. I learned that like a while ago, <laughs> like permission can never be bestowed by anyone else. You don't need to wait for it. Uh, then, you know, once you realize that permission is something that only you can grant yourself, then you become almost like this unstoppable, slightly dangerous, almost <laughs> in the best way, force, because what isn't available to you, if you're willing to be uncomfortable, and if you're willing to be shut down, and if you're willing to do the work required to make it a success. I like all that you just said. And <laughs> I agree when it comes to like, because people say to me all the time, shouldn't I just fake it till I make it? And I don't like that phrase either. I'd rather say behave like the person you want to become. So if you That's say, it. right, because if you act first, sometimes the feelings follow. So if you wanted yes. to, just like you said, if you want to be a runner, well, run, don't sit on the couch and think about running or wait until yeah. you feel like you are a runner, just get out there and do it. Yeah. And, but yet I think all of us have those moments where we get an opportunity and we think, uh, somebody overestimated me. <laughs> I can't do this. I don't fit in. Or like, who am I to, to be in this room? Or why did my supervisor pick me for this thing thinking I could do it if I can't? And then we're afraid we're going to look bad. How do you deal with all that discomfort? Maybe you don't experience it because you've come to that conclusion yeah. of like, no, I'm, I'm going to be here and I belong. Well, if something came my way that felt scary, I would do it anyway. Knowing that the fear is there, I'm like, okay, good. 
this is good. It's good that I'm afraid. In fact, I, I, I was just recently asked to do a, a kind of like a different talk for me to an investment bank later this month. And it's a new subject. It's not really my specialty, but I'm like, they came to me. I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm afraid, but I think I'm going to do my very best and I'm going to, I think it'll be successful because my track record overall has been that I've, um, I've worked hard to, the, to do the thing and the outcome, not perfect, but good enough, like good enough. And that's how, so when act, action cures fit, something arrives and it's scary. There was this one time, Amy, I remember I, I was in my twenties. This was back when I was afraid to speak up in meetings. I was like, wow, American men speak so long and they have so much <laughs> to say. And I'm just like too afraid to ask a question in case someone already asked it or if there's if it's, I'm going to sound dumb or whatever, but I was always afraid to speak up in meetings. And my manager at the time, I think could sense that because she'd see me privately and I was confident, but in the big boardrooms, I wasn't, you know, I'd like shut down or just be quiet or smile and take notes. And one time when she was about to deliver a report, she, as we were walking into the boardroom, she said, do you want to deliver it today? Like she gave me this invitation and I was like, no, no way. (laughs) Like I need two weeks to worry about this, you know. Like, right, right. I, and I think she asked me in the moment because she was smart and she was like, "Hey, do you want to just?" And I knew that I created it. She, I would just give it to her to present, but I said no. You know, like I, I said no, and I remember wrestling with that no for ages afterwards. I was like, "Why did I say no? No one even knows I do all this work." Like, and you know, she didn't ask me again. Hmm. Like she didn't ask me again for a long time after that. And so I remember each time going to the meeting, like, is she going to ask me? And I'd be like really prepared. Like, is she going to ask me again? Is she? And she didn't for a long time because not all opportunities come back around, at least not at the same time. And so I think that sometimes too, when we remember moments where we've held ourselves back and the feelings that come with that, like, I don't, me feeling afraid and not, and maybe not being perfect at something that feels I feel more at ease with that than um, being the girl who like, who says no, who's like yeah. too afraid. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather live with the, oh, holy, holy, holy bad word here. Insert bad word. Like, <sighs> like I'll do it. Ah, like, you know, like I'm being called here uh, versus oh, I said no. And I feel really like I feel upset with myself. Like that's not why we're here on planet earth for a very temporary time. Yeah, the risk of potentially embarrassing yourself as opposed to the risk of saying no and then never knowing what might happen. And I have a remarkable ability to say yes. If somebody asks me for a really... But then after I've said yes and the excitement starts to wear off, I think, wait a minute, now I actually have to like deliver this thing that I just promised to do. And then I start to get nervous after the fact. I'll give you an example. Um, A few years ago, I got the opportunity to be on the cover of a magazine. Mm. I'm, an, I'm an author. I'm a therapist from Maine. Like we don't really get to be on covers of magazines and everybody else who all the other cover stars were like literally rock stars. Then wow. I got invited to go to the party where they were re- revealing like the covers and all of these stars were going to be there. And I'm about to walk in and I'm like, I am so embarrassed <laughs> like to be among these people. I'm like, what am I going to do? The person who was with me like slaps me on the shoulder and just says, act like you belong. And I'm like, you're right. <laughs> that was the best advice in that moment was to just walk in the room and acted like I belong. I had a great time and was able to get over that. But so often I think that that like fear of like either somebody picked me 
when they mm-hmm. didn't realize I was didn't belong and now I feel that or somehow people are going to find out, right, that I can't mm-hmm. possibly deliver this speech or do this thing that they asked me to do. And then for some people that leads to this perfectionism where they end up working really long hours and thinking, because you put me on this pedestal, there's only one place I can go and that's down unless I work a hundred hours this week and try to make it look like I pulled it off no problem. Mm-hmm. And I see that a lot from people who will be like, you know, I, I've dug myself into this hole where people believe in me, but yet I'm not as good as they think I am. So now I feel like I have to do all of this stuff to live up to that potential. What does somebody do if they come to you and they're struggling and they're like, you know, Susie, I'm in this position where I feel like I just can't keep up yet other people think I can. What would you tell them to do? Two things. I really believe that there are no accidents when it comes to who is meant to be doing what. So it was meant to be you on that cover, Amy. That's why it was you. It wasn't meant to be the 50 other potential options I'm sure they had if you weren't available or if you said no. Like, a message, a story, something from you it had to be you. So like the sushi pepperoni, like it, 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 it can only pass through, like the right thing passes through the right person at the right time. So I always think like, there are no accents. Who am I to argue with the universe? Like, who am I to take that on? That's not who am I to be here. It's like, who am I to argue with this, right? Like, this is what's come up. And then secondly, I'd look at all of your past experiences that where you felt the same way because, you know, it's like first day at school, first kiss, driving a car. Like, I mean, we have so many, we'd love to forget them, but all these wins that we've already had. I'm like, I, I know that feeling, that pressure that we put on ourselves, like, oh my gosh, someone's chosen me. I don't want to let them down. Like they might look bad if they chose me and I mess up. Like there are all these layers that, that we can go, like where our mind can go. And I think, you know, have I ever really done that? Like, have I? Yeah, sure, I've messed up, right? Like, for sure. But have I ever, I mean, have I ever like shown up drunk? Or like, have I ever, uh, you know, completely, even if I've forgotten my words or something, can I, have I still like done well enough to like fumble through? Like, haven't we, aren't we kind of doing better than we think? Like, (laughs) absolutely. We're our own worst enemies when it comes to that stuff, right? Like that report that I was too scared to deliver. If I was up there and I was like, okay, guys. And I said, um, 3000 times and, you know, maybe was blushing and was sweating. Uh, fine. But would that have been like the most, should I be sued? Like, should, you know, what, like, where's the crime? Like, okay. Yeah. So new to presenting this. Cool. It's kind of, I think even to it, it can build like connections with other people too. And they see you in your, in your humanness, you know? So if someone's like, I'm terrified, you know, this thing is happening and I, it has to be perfect. Well, no, it's no one's job to be perfect. I say that all the time and it gives me such relief. I'm like, well, my job to be perfect. Maybe it's someone else's job. I wish you a lot of luck, but it's, it's not mine. <laughs> and nothing happens by accident, whether it's momentum from inside of you or from outside of you. And yeah, look at your history for proof. Probably all the things that you worried about where you could just could go horribly wrong. Like, did they? And maybe they weren't perfect, but was it good enough? I actually want to, I want to write my next book called Good Enough. Like good enough is good enough. <laughs> I and love it. Enough. <laughs> Please do write that book. <laughs> but think about that. Hey, that was good enough. I mean, think about just the confidence that it takes to be, be that way. Like, not like, oh, and you know what it's like, just say you even did something 
it completed a project and it took three months and it was 90% perfect. Don't we dwell on that 10%, right? We We're like, mm-hmm. oh, no one else is. Or maybe right. one person is, but like, you know, F them, you know? <laughs> yeah, well, overall, are you doing okay? I would say so. Yeah. And sometimes that extra 10% might take like 50% more work to get there. And you think, oh, but right. I should have. And we beat ourselves up if we don't uh, do those things that we think we should have done. And that's what I love about your work is you talk a lot about sort of taking a lot of that pressure off of ourselves that we put there for no real reason. We just it's self-imposed, whether it's deadlines or thinking that we have to be perfect. Before yeah. we go, I just want to know, in terms of your mental health, do you have strategies, a daily ritual or routine, something that you do every day to manage your mental health? Oh, I have. This is like a magic trick. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> yeah, magic trick. Whenever I feel, so I don't have like a, I I know people have these incredible morning routines, like I envy you, like that's so cool to have the consistency and structure. But my go-to is whenever I feel a negative charge in my body, right? So I feel jealousy or anger or doubt, or even like a moment of panic, like, did I just mess up? Like whatever it is. And we all have these throughout the day, big, small, other people can trigger it. We can do it just fine on our own too, in the dangerous corners of our minds. But if I have a negative charge, I stop and I go, what, what did I just think in that second? Like, what was it? Like, cause I thought something that charge didn't come out of nowhere. So if I'm thinking, okay, normally it's like, I'm not good enough. Someone else is further ahead. Um, I sound like a, that, that sound is so stupid. That thing that I just said, like whatever it is. And if I have that, uh, that like sinking feeling, I'm like, wait, what is it? And I'll catch it early. So it won't be like four hours of feeling a bit weird trying to block it, but I'm like, what was it? That thought. And I'll look at it. And I will, I will lovingly play with it a bit, <laughs> you know? So if I'm like, do I say, so just say I'm interviewing somebody and I'm like, oh, that question, I, or I said the wrong thing, or I, I actually said something factually incorrect. Uh, okay. And I'll go, and my, and then my negative charge is like, oh, that was so, you know, oh, that was so dumb. And then I feel like embarrassment, right? Mm-hmm. The, when I feel that embarrassment, I'm like, okay, that's because I know it's because I said the wrong thing. Um. Is it editable? Is it something that everyone's going to notice? Is it more just something that like a story that I've got that I really want to be really accurate and perfect with this stuff? Uh, And I will look for a way to just like soothe and release, like maybe take an action if there's one available Um, or is there just another way of looking at it often with a bit more lightheartedness? You notice that often people who are like a bit older, right? They, they tend to be a bit more easygoing with stuff, yeah. like flexible. And like, that's what I will just like consciously adopt. And I won't accept the negative emotion or the charge without like looking at it, at least not for long, not perfectly, but it really is like a magic trick because you can turn around like anything that's about to set you off course. And you can just, you can tell, uh, you, you can tell yourself an entirely different narrative about the whole thing. Even if you have say, um, like an unwanted result, like a bad month or a, you know, bad, maybe a review at work that wasn't great. Like there are lots of ways to look at that, right? There are so many, you can be like, I'm a failure. My future's bleak. Or you can look at like maybe what was missing and it can give you some creative potential or maybe it's information that there's time for a change. So I think being curious and allowing yourself to like come up with other ways of interpreting situations is like the biggest superpower anyone could ever have. 
And the fact that you can identify an emotion and then not beat yourself up for it, right? If you feel embarrassed or maybe you feel a twinge of jealousy to then not be mad at yourself for feeling that or thinking we shouldn't, but to just be curious. Yes. And I tell you, because we all got those twinges, right? If, if someone does something or it gets an opportunity, whatever that you want, I always think good things happen to me too. And like isn't that. that the truth? Isn't that the good things happen to me too? Probably someone's looking at my stuff thinking the same, like Susie gets blah, blah, blah. I'm like, while here, I'm in a, a, a spiral over something else. You know what I mean? It's madness. Right. <laughs> I'm like, oh, good things happen to me too. And that feels more true in my body. Before we go, can I share a quick story about you? And I bet you, I bet you don't even remember it. I don't think. Okay, tell me, tell me. So in the moment that I met you, so we're at this book event. I don't remember. There might have been five authors at this event and we were mm-hmm. all just sharing about our books and a whole bunch of people in the room. And you and I had never met. We'd known each other for about 30 seconds, probably. And you leaned over and said, hey, we're on Instagram Live. And you just started talking. And I'm one of those people that I wouldn't have gone live on Instagram unless I like had the outline of what I was going to say and what I was going to do. And I'd want to know who the other person was. And you just turn it on, you start talking and you went for it. And, and I don't remember what we talked about, but I remember in that moment thinking like, that is amazing. And so I know that you practice the thing because you don't remember this, right? Because you probably used to do this stuff all the time. (laughs) To me, that was like rock star power that you had the courage and the confidence to just click on your Instagram live with no plan. You didn't know who I was and just start talking and hoping that it turned out well. (laughs) So I just want you to know that that made a huge impression on me that, and I think that's a great example of saying you just took action without thinking about it. You didn't have to rehearse it. You didn't have to spend a lot of time figuring it out. You're like, we're just going live and here we go. So I know that you practice the things that you talk about because I saw it firsthand years ago. (laughs) I love it. And I'm like, what was that to practice? This woman's written an incredible book. Let's talk about it. Like, (laughs) and you just went for it. And (laughs) Oh, I love that story. Thank you for sharing it. Absolutely. Susie Moore, thank you so much for being on the Very Well Mind podcast and for sharing all of your wisdom with us. Oh, so much love to you, Amy. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I'll break down Susie's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. Here are three of my favorite strategies that Susie shared. Number one, Remember that most decisions are reversible. I love that Susie said that. There are a lot of people who say you can't ever have a backup plan because you'll resort to your backup plan and not put all your effort into plan A. But I think there are plenty of times when we need to know that there is a safety net. Then we can go full force because we aren't afraid of falling. When people say things like burn the boats or you can't ever go back, remember that might not always be the best option for you. Not right now anyway. I'm a firm believer that we perform better when we aren't riddled with anxiety about the fact that we can't fail because there is no backup plan. So I appreciated that Susie said, you can simply remind yourself that most decisions are reversible. And it's true. Obviously, if you quit your job, you might never be able to return to the exact same job again. But there are lots of other jobs out there and you can find another one if starting your business doesn't work out. Or you can move back to your old city if the new city you move to doesn't work out for you either. Number two, take action to address fear. This is hard to do, but Susie's absolutely right. No one ever gains courage by sitting on the couch. You have to get up and go do scary things if you want to address those fears. 
When you consistently do scary things, they don't feel so scary anymore. Your brain will stop trying to talk you out of doing them, and your body won't react as if you're in a life or death situation after a while. Think about it like this. If someone asked you to give a speech to 10,000 people at a stadium 10 miles away, what would you be more scared of? Giving the speech or getting in the car to travel 10 miles? If you're like most people, you said the speech is scarier. But giving a speech isn't physically dangerous. Getting in the car is, though. There's a chance that you might die in a car crash. But most of us get in a car every day, and we don't really think about it as being risky because our brain gets used to being in a car. As a therapist, when someone wants to tackle a fear, we address it with one small step at a time. If you're scared of public speaking, you can start by giving a talk in the mirror to just yourself. And then you work your way up slower to a bigger audience, maybe just one person at a time. With practice, you'll find that anything that feels really scary doesn't feel so scary anymore. And number three, accept that opportunities that come your way are meant for you. Most successful people I talk to say that they have some imposter syndrome. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. If you sometimes question whether you have everything you need to do your job, or you sometimes think that you lack some knowledge to be in the position you're in, it could help you strive to be a little bit better. So I like that Susie said, you can simply accept the opportunities that come your way are meant for you. While you might question that sometimes, if something amazing happens to you or you get invited to do something really cool, the last thing you want to do is waste your energy questioning if you can actually pull it off. Just accept that it's meant for you and move forward with full gusto. That's wise advice. So those are three of Susie's strategies that I highly recommend. Remember, most decisions are reversible. Take action to address fear and accept that the opportunities that come your way are meant for you. To hear more of Susie's strategies, check out her book, Let It Be Easy. It's filled with simple but effective ways to stop making life more difficult than it needs to be. Thank you for listening to the Very Well Mind podcast. If you found this episode informative, please share the episode with your friends and family and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the Very Well Mind podcast, you can head to verywellmind.com slash podcasts.